did. Also, the literary style is unique. The sentence structure is uncomplicated and easy to understand. It's also a book of striking contrasts, contrasts, light and darkness, truth and falsehood, good and evil, life and death, God and Satan. Uh, the Gospel of John was written not so much to retell the historical facts of Jesus' brief stay on earth, but to ask the question, what does his coming mean? A couple of other unique things. So John never refers to himself by name. He simply identifies himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I thought was cool. And then one of the other things I noticed is how the book of John is written as if John is sitting with us and telling us the story from his view. There are moments where he will say things like, we didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said this, but then we remembered this prophecy after he was raised from the dead. John identifies the purpose of his choice and what he includes in this book. Um, towards the end of the book of John, in John 20, verse 30 through 31, which we'll have up there. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So join me as we dive into John chapter 1 in the gospel, according to John, uh, a first-hand account of one who was loved by Jesus, sharing with us the signs and sayings of Jesus so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want to know you um, and so we're so grateful that somebody that was with you and saw these things happen and heard you say these things recorded them for us Lord, i pray that you would make these words alive to us and that by reading them uh, we would experience you amen So John chapter 1, verse 1, starts out very similar to another book in the Bible. In Genesis 1, verse 1, it starts out with, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John 1, 1 starts with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning... Uh, doesn't refer to Jesus' birth, uh, but it's like the beginning of recorded time. So if you went outside of time, there would be God and the Word. And one of uh, the Bible classes that I took <clears throat> in college was on the, the Gospel of John. And one of the things that I will never forget from that class because it was drilled into us and we had to do reports on it, um, is that the, in the original Greek language that John wrote, 
in Greek is logos. Logos means word. To clarify, here's a, an explanation from my college textbook, because you may be like, like, okay. So the term logos, which occurs four times, includes more than its English translation word. A word is an idea expressed through a combination of sounds or of letters. Without the idea or the concept behind it, the medium would be meaningless. KXBZ might represent a radio station, but as a combination of letters or sounds, if it could be pronounced, you're probably doing that in your head, it has no meaning whatsoever because no concept is attached to it. Uh, just as the term logos implies the intelligence behind the idea, the idea itself, and the transmissible expression of it. College textbook, so. The, terms, uh, the term logos was used technically in the Greek philosophy of the period, particularly by the Stoics, to denote the controlling reason of the universe, the all-pervasive mind which ruled and gave meaning to things. Logos was one of the purest and most general concepts of that ultimate intelligence, reason, or will that is called God. So let's, let's look at uh, one, one through five. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. Oh, we ran out of room there. And the darkness did not comprehend it. So in these verses, the author is using a term that was, in the historical context of the time, a common description for the mind, the reason, the logic, the intelligence that ruled and gave meaning to everything in the universe. Um, that last line, the, uh, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. In the New Living Translation, it says the darkness can never extinguish it, which makes sense. It's not like you can you know, turn on the dark. Darkness is just like the absence of, of light. And so, yeah, darkness can't comprehend light because it just uh, obliterates it. So in these verses, oh, I already read that. Okay, here we go. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on to figure out what, what this is all about. So we're going to go to verses 6 through 13. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So verses uh, 10 and 11 have to be the saddest verses in Scripture. He was in the world, and even though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Ouch. Uh, has anyone seen the movie The Little Princess? No? Hey, okay. So, <clears throat> there's a scene in that movie that I must confess makes me cry. Uh, the 1939 version stars Shirley Temple. It's black and white. Uh, she's an only child who's sent to a boarding school by her father, who's going to fight in World War I. Um, her father, uh, he gets injured in the head, and he's recovering in a hospital next door to the boarding house, but he can't remember anything. He can't remember his name. He can't remember that he has a daughter. And the little princess is precocious, and she has this incredible imagination, and she's raised well by this father because he tells her every little girl's a princess. And so she's trying, she is just, you know, coming up with stories, and um, it's uh, the head lady at the boarding house just has no patience for her. So she isolates her, she puts her up in this attic and keeps her away from the other kids. She sees her father next door and she like crosses on the, on the roof. Anyway, she sees her father, she's desperate to be reunited with him and loved by him and encouraged by him. She finds a way to get into his room, and she's crying and pleading, I'm your daughter, I'm your daughter. And he, and he just, he, he can't remember. He does not recall that she's his. He keeps pushing her away, dismissing her. He doesn't remember her. So the wicked boarding house staff come in, and they drag the little princess away, and she's screaming and she's crying. And then you can see the father pause and concentrate, and he comes out of this fog, and he, he his memory's restored, and, he, re, and he, he says, no, that's my daughter. And they're reunited, and he takes her home. He rescues his daughter. But that, that moment where there's this lack of recognition, that, that's what prompted me to think, uh, that's what those verses, verses 10 and 11, made me think of, that the true light was in the world, and he came to his own, and they did not know him, and they did not receive him. And then um, in verse 12, we start to see some of the contrasts that this book is, is known for. It says, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And it goes through... Um, you know, they're, they're at verse 13, or I guess it's 12 and 13. Um, Even to those who believe in his name, 
who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So, you know, what, what he's saying there is, regardless of whether you were, you know, planned by, you know, the will of man, or just happened because of the will of the flesh, or you are of the bloodline of, you know, whatever nationality, any who believe in his name, you're born of God, his will, his child from his will. And now for those of you who are paying attention and have been thinking to yourselves, there are three kinds of people in the world, those that can count and those that can't. Uh, you heard me say that the word was used four times, and in verse 1 we only had them three times, so here's that fourth word in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the Lord, oh, I'm sorry, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Let me take these apart a little bit here. So John the Baptist, who was a cousin of Jesus, and who was born around six months before Jesus. If you remember from our Christmas story, Mary comes to her relative's house, uh, the home of Zacharias and Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And yet, John the Baptist states that Jesus, who is younger biologically, has a higher rank than John, and he existed before John. So in these first 18 verses that we're looking at, John is painting a picture of Jesus through the lens of his true being, not just his life as a man. Jesus is eternal. He was in the beginning. He is divine. He was with God and he is God. He is creator. All things came into being by him. In him is life and the life was the light of men. So now, while we have our eyes on the word and all his divine glory, we also have John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was not merely a man. He was in the beginning before time. He is God. He is our creator. In him is life, and that is the light of men. And he became flesh. And the rest of verse 14 states, And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the author, John, is stating 
albeit with 2020 hindsight perspective, that he and the other disciples witnessed Jesus' glory, that he was uniquely the only one like him sent from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And this is really important because even today there's a sense that God is only judgmental, only vengeful. There's a belief that God is this angry, white, bearded old man sitting on his throne with a scowl on his face and a lightning bolt in his hand ready to blast us the next time we step out of line. It's important that we read and we know what this eyewitness tells us. So let's look at uh, verses 16 through 18 again. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. And then, you know, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, so the only begotten God, that's Jesus. Who is in the bosom of the Father. So he... Jesus has explained him, the Father. We need Jesus in all his glory, full of grace and full of truth, in order to realize the true, the truth about God the Father. And since no man has seen God, we cannot fully understand him. But the Word, the only begotten of the Father, Jesus has explained him to us. Have you ever heard a song and you can't really make out or understand the lyrics, so you translate the sounds uh, into words that make sense to you? Yeah, I think uh, Ellen DeGeneres has like a whole stand-up bit based on that, right? Um, I, I did that um, to the song Dynamite by Teo Cruz where the lyrics of the chorus are, I throw my hands up in the air sometimes, saying, ayo, gotta let go, right? So what I thought that I heard that made sense to me was, I stare up at the stars at night, saying, ayo, Galileo. <laughs> I, that made sense to me. Go ahead, show the... Next one, I like that one. Galileo's a, a, an astronomer. He looks up at the stars. That, that's, that was my translation. Um, I, I, mis I misunderstood it, what was being sung. I missed the point of the lyrics. And I ended up with my own personal version that I would sing out loud at baseball games. I, and I needed my kids to explain to me what the true lyrics were. <clears throat> So, in the same way, we can misunderstand God. Um, and when we, when we misunderstand him, we end up with a twisted personal translation of who God is and what he's like based on only part of the story. So we get hurt. And we think, oh, this is because of me. I'm not good enough. Or I, I'm, I, 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 I deserve this hurt, right? 
when that's not the truth. John specifically mentions the law given through Moses. <clears throat> if you only had the law to go off of, what you end up with is a ton of rules that literally no one in history ever fulfilled. Who made all these rules? Why is someone trying to ruin all of our fun? But grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And he who knows God the Father better than anyone else in humankind has explained him so that we can know him better. The Gospel of John was written down so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he's the Son of God. Uh, one of my study materials breaks it down like this. When John identifies Jesus as the Christ, he's not saying a person just needs to acknowledge that Jesus is the one called Messiah. So um, Christ is a Greek word, and it's a translation of Messiah, which is a Hebrew word. It's a title. It's not Jesus' last name. So he's not saying that a person just needs to acknowledge that Jesus is the one called Messiah but that one must believe that Jesus is the one who will fulfill all of the promises God made to his people. The promises of God tie the entire Old Testament together, and they all center on a person. The Old Testament is not a collection of stories, but rather one story. It's a single story of God creating man, man rebelling against God, and God sending his son to reconcile man back to God. John is saying you must believe Jesus is that person. Jesus is the promise keeper. All of God's promises come true in him. So yeah, we... we Unfortunately, we, we live with other humans, and we're pretty good at hurting each other. <laughs> and those hurts can stay with us. And we interpret life and marriage and parenting and God through these lenses of just trying to survive, right? Are you tired of violence and lies? Are you fed up with punishment and deception? Have you had it, had it with the endless power struggles and malice? Grace and truth are realized through Jesus Christ. You may have been singing the wrong lyrics about God for who knows how long. Jesus has something to share with you. And it may be different for every one of us. But he has something to share with us about who God is. Because he's good, and he wants to bless us, and he wants to heal us. He wants us to know the Father through knowing him. 
And sometimes he even uses us to share his words with each other. As we prepare to close and enter ministry time, if you want to hear from God, ask him to share with you. We believe and expect the Lord uh, to speak to us because we know that he's good and he loves to bless us. Ask the Lord to speak to you this morning. Because if you've got a wrong lyric in your head and it is causing you to misunderstand the truth and the grace about God the Father, he wants to correct that. Because that might be getting in the way of just functioning and being good to other people and doing your job or being just a decent human. <laughs> so I ask the Lord to speak to you this morning. And when you hear from him, it might be for you. It might be for someone else that's here this morning. And if the Lord speaks to you for someone else, I want to encourage you to take the risk to speak it out. We want this to be a safe place to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we might make a mess, and it's okay. We, we make, it's okay to make a mess, because we, it's not about just being perfect. It's about growing. It's about learning. It's about becoming more like God, more like Jesus. So after our closing song, that'll be the time when we open up to share um, what we've heard from the Lord. Let's have the worship team come up here.